Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Ian Willoughby, Chief Architect Cloud Solutions, and Skip Berry, Executive Director of Cloud Enablement. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back, everybody. If you're trying to run your business smarter, not harder, chances are you're utilizing data to gain insights into a decision-making process and gain a competitive advantage. We all need that competitive advantage. Today, we talk with data and AI ML expert, Rui Costa at Google Cloud about why and when to use cloud data offerings and how to make the most of your data in the cloud. Welcome, Rui. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about your background here. Rui has worked at Google in various roles, most recently as learning consultant, working with strategic customers and partners to create and execute on their Google Cloud learning plans. He is also the founder of Speech Analysis Framework, which has successfully graduated to become a product within Google. Rui is also releasing a book from O'Reilly Media titled Building Cloud Native Applications on Google Cloud. Wow, with all that... Sounds like you're pretty busy, really. <laughs> it is, but it's fun. It's good busy. Yeah, I sound pretty passionate about this stuff. So I think this is going to be a, a lot of exciting information. How long have you been at Google now? Four years. So in cloud years, that's like 28, I believe. That, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, <laughs> things change every day and move so quickly. Yeah, I think obviously you love Google's culture. We work with Google as a partner as well, and we find it very uh, interesting and, and exciting to dig deep with you guys. And you guys are building something pretty special over there. Thank you. So, yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about you know, the data side of the cloud today. So maybe we can just start off and talk about a summary of the data offerings that GCP has and why you would use those in certain circumstances. Yeah, sure. And I'll apologize if I miss one or if one was just recently announced that I'm not aware <laughs> That's of. That's the thing, yeah. So everybody knows we're recording this in December of 2020, still in the middle of the pandemic. But as you know, with the cloud, obviously, there could be a, an announcement in an hour that we weren't anticipating. I think most people are probably familiar with our BigQuery, and that's really our core, I think, to a lot of our you know, data manipulation, data transformation within Google Cloud. And what a lot of customers you know, do choose Google Cloud for is their our enterprise data warehouse offering, which is BigQuery. But outside of BigQuery, we have other database offerings. We have the traditional that you're you know, accustomed to and probably using, and it's provided as a managed service, like MySQL, Postgres. So we have those as well. So those are more for the traditional relational databases. We also have our Spanner, and Spanner came, again, and, and most of these products that I talk about outside of things like MySQL and Postgres and things like Redis that are open source projects or other vendors are distributing are created by Google. Right? So so like when I talk about BigQuery, that's something that we organically created to service our own needs, Google's needs, right? And that's for YouTube, Gmail, and search, and all our other 1 billion products that we have. <laughs> So when you talk about Spanner, is another offering, right? So now you want a little bit of both, right? You want uh, OLAP and OLT and relational, right? The transactional databases. And we needed something internally. And it, organically, we just built Spanner. And that's what serves a lot of our ad business. And now we've externalized that to our customers. So I, I like to think about it, you know, think about having the ability to have two databases across the regions and being able to, you know, commit a transaction and then being available in both regions. Right. I think that's just super powerful and, and what you don't usually see. And as if you're a database administrator, you know, that's like very difficult, right. To, to accomplish. 
Yeah, to have that acid compatibility across a geo far away. That's that's absolutely amazing. Absolutely. We have another one that, you know, came from the Firebase world, which I'm very, very passionate about, which is Firestore. That's another NoSQL database offering we have. And I'm passionate about it because I love to like, you know, kind of build these little mobile apps and just have some fun, right? Just geek out a little bit. Yeah. And I'll build an app like this to say, and, and then I want to have this app to dynamically get new updates, right? How do you do that, right? And you see, I start thinking about like, I'm going to do a push notifications. Well, Firestore has like, I can attach a listener to the database and I can look for like updates, deletes. So if someone makes a change to the database, I'll get notified on my application. Now I can render this right to the user. So Firestore, you know, came from Firebase. It's now part of Google Cloud and it's another powerful NoSQL database option for our customers as well. And within these, just so you know, like there's other ones are like Data Store and there's a few other ones that we have. Like you could even consider our object-based storage you know, a database because there's so many cool things that we can do with it now. With BigQuery, we can actually use standard SQL language to query objects sitting in storage in our object-based storage. Even within these products, and there's like a lot of other features within them that make them so powerful. Yeah, and I think Bigtable obviously is out there as well. Forgot about Bigtable, see? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's hard to keep them all track, right? I mean, there's so many of them and they have yeah. s- such interesting use cases around each one too. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, we see Firestore quite a bit, and definitely the mobile side. We're talking to a lot more people, and they're very, very interested in, in BigQuery. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, obviously from the data warehousing side, but tie into AI and ML forecasting, those types of things. And you know, let's let's dig it a little bit further into BigQuery if you don't mind. What are some of the more powerful business use cases that you're seeing, and why it's attracting people? I'll, I'm going to take one that. I'm going to take a little bit different direction and I'll come back to, you know, why customers are using it. But I'll tell you one thing that customers sometimes don't look at BigQuery to use and it is an option. And when we talk about dashboards, that's easy, right? You can use Looker or some type of BI tool like Tableau or Looker to, you know, to visualize those dashboards coming off of BigQuery. But other people look at dashboards and depending on the industry you're in, a dashboard can be for a gamer, their scores, right? So now we're talking about, and not just gamers, but for anyone, it can be for, you know, in, in the government space, maybe a dashboard with for, in the situation that we're in right now for how many cases of COVID there are, right? 19 there are. And, and they want to display this, right? And these users are not going to have Looker, Tableau, or some tool, right? They, they want to need, they need it on a website. So BigQuery can even power that piece of it as well, right? It can power that, that web-based front end as well. So customers are coming. And so we start thinking about, well, well, this is pretty cool. So wait, you can use BI tools. You can use a web-based web front end. So JavaScript. So there's an SDK for BigQuery. Like, yes, there is. Well, wow, that becomes pretty powerful. And that alone is the big reason customers are coming to Google. Is the ecosystem of BigQuery is so broad that it becomes this uh, source of truth for their reports, for their dashboards, for their displaying data to their users. Outside of displaying and being that kind of source of truth and having such a large ecosystem of partners that allow integration into BigQuery, then comes really the the magic, right? Which is the the super powerful engine that it has. How it basically takes your query, can shard it across, you know, think about, yeah, that's exactly what it does. It takes your query, shards it across all these different nodes and computers sitting in the data center, executes it, and then comes back with the response. And we're we're not we're not talking like you know minutes. We're talking seconds, right? Depending again what you're trying to do, if there's you know aggregations or whatever you are doing. But if it's this petabyte query, it's going to come back to you in seconds, maybe maybe minutes, right? Depends, right? Depends the query that you're doing. And for users, that's powerful. They can mine their data. They can start now producing insights to their their users 
quickly. I mean, I've heard stories of customers running, and I've come across them, where they'll run a, a jobber once a month or once a week or once a day because it takes so long that they just can't run it, you know, and they can't provide that data in real time to customers. Moving to BigQuery, you know, allowed them to say, you know what, now I can, right? I can execute these queries a lot faster. And once the data is in BigQuery, then I can now present it to the user, right? And I don't have to now run reports once a month or, sorry, once a day. I can run them, you know, whenever, whenever the user needs it, it's going to be readily available for them. So I think that's the huge thing. Like, that's the big thing that customers are, you know, choosing. So it's not just one, right? But that's why the customers are choosing, you know, BigQuery. It's providing them insights in real time or quickly. It's providing them a large ecosystem so they don't have to change the way that they're doing things today. And then for people that are like, oh, I got to go to BigQuery, you know, how much different is this going to be? Well, it's not. It's standard SQL language. Like, so if you know SQL, like, you're going to know BigQuery and it's a managed platform. So, yeah, I like that aspect of it too. I mean, it was very easy for me to learn how to use it, you know, just populate the data. And I also like, you know, we'll get into some experimentation things hopefully at the end of this, but the amount of data that's available out there that's public data, large data sets that you can bring in, I thought was really, really a great way of learning how to use this, this ecosystem. I think also the other thing is too, is that, and I want to kind of check to see what you think of this too. Often we have customers that are coming from a traditional IT environment on-prem. They may have some type of data warehousing, some of the traditional ones that we're aware of. And I know that Google's very easy to import that in. But are you seeing that people are kind of doing a one-for-one? Because sometimes what we're seeing too is, let's say they may have a very large, I wouldn't say proprietary, but licensed, heavily expensive system out there with a lot of data in it. And they're pulling it in. They're not going to just one platform, but they may be pulling it into, you know, like for data, a BigQuery as an example. Some of it may end up into a MySQL database or Postgres, and then something else as well, maybe a, a big table because they have a little bit of unstructured data or however else they're doing it. So do these tools work pretty well together, do you feel like? <laughs> I think so. One of the things that if you look at our platform, I mean, everything's pretty similar. So once you're accustomed to one of the solutions or one of the products, it's pretty easy to get accustomed to another one. And you might be like, well, wait a minute, you're talking about like a compute engine Kubernetes. How does that, how is that, you know, similar to like, you know, BigQuery or CloudSQL, which is what you mentioned around Postgres and MySQL. What I mean by that is just the interface itself. It's easy to navigate, right? Nothing really changes when you're going from one to the other. So mm-hmm. things within the platform are fairly similar. And you might be thinking, okay, that's good. But how about, you know, endpoints? Well, that's the same thing too. Since we were able to, you know, we, we came to market the last, right, out of the big cloud provider vendors, we had the opportunity to expose our things in such a way that we knew how users wanted to consume them. So when you're using one of our endpoints, it's easily the similar to one of our other endpoints. And what I mean by that is like, if you're going to do like a, a post or a get whatever the, the endpoint is, a lot of the verbs that are associated with that endpoint are not really much different than the verbs associated with a different endpoint. So like mm-hmm. BigQuery endpoint different than a Kubernetes endpoint, the verbs are the same. That makes using the platform pretty easy, like starting to get accustomed to it. Going back to your specific question around you know, bringing all these data sources in, how do I do things? I mean, we have so many really powerful tools. One, you know, again, we haven't really touched on it. And I had mentioned it before around BigQuery being, you know, a core of Google Cloud. And within BigQuery, there's so many other things, right? There's BQML, right? Mm -hmm. So I can start now doing machine learning on BigQuery. But then there's also BigQuery Omni, which is the ability for me now to query data sources outside of BigQuery, so if I have data sources sitting in maybe Amazon or sitting in a, you know, other locations, I have the ability to now, using standard SQL, 
query those other data sources. So now we're making a simple, we made a simple not just to use Google Cloud, by you know keeping our API similar, keeping our platform console similar, we also are making it easier to use other cloud vendors like and access other data sources that are living in other locations by something like BigQuery Omni. So now you don't have to go and worry about where the data sits, where you know what it looks like, right? All you have to really worry about is how to. I mean, you you do kind of have to worry about how, what the data <laughs> looks like, right? But right, right, of course, yeah. You don't have to learn that language, right? You're still working with SQL standard or SQL. So I think from that perspective, Google's done a, a phenomenal job. And there's even other tools that we didn't even mention that still fall into the data worlds, like Data Fusion, right? Is another one yeah. that, that allows me to move data from, you know, different sources to, you know, to different targets. So hopefully that provides you some clarity on, you know, I, I think at least my my perspective yeah, and that's a good point. I think from the aspect of connectivity and other multi-cloud kind of platforms. And then also, yeah, you talked about data fusion. Amazing. I mean, that was really interesting for me to be able to combine data sources into to one and to keep that moving. So a lot of cool, cool things. So that's very exciting. Now, now you mentioned AI and ML. Obviously, there's forecasting, mm-hmm. things along those lines. Can you talk a little bit about some of the different AI offerings that Google is offering these days? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so, but it, here, let me put it this way. I, I like to look at it in three segments. Giving a developer access to AI tools without being a data scientist. That's one. The other one is giving access to everyone the ability to do something with AI with not being a developer, maybe just being a data analyst, right? And third being, you know, a data scientist. Those are kind of like the three segments I like to break down, like the user persona. Mm-hmm. And we cover all of those personas within Google Cloud. So talk a little bit about like the, the first persona, the developer. And I think that's the one that's most exciting for me, being a background software engineer. I can take, you know, APIs and incorporate machine learning into my product without ever having to build a model. That becomes super powerful. And you're like, okay, so what can I do? Well, think about something as simple as a video that we're recording. And you're on a meeting. It could be Zoom, it could be WebEx, it could be Google Meet, <laughs> it could be whatever you want. And you recorded the video. And you recorded not just one, but you recorded a thousand videos. And let's just say that they're training videos. And now you say, okay, now what do I do with these training videos? I'm going to go and say to my users, go to these training videos if you want to go look at a video again about some topic, right? And let's just say that these training videos were about different Google Cloud Platform products. So there's videos on MySQL, there's videos on you know BigQuery, there's so many videos. Am I going to go watch those videos? Probably not because they're long. They might be a full day session of BigQuery. Right. And how do I find what's in them? So now you take the developer and you take our AI tools and you say, okay, what can I do with that? Well, how about if I use our video intelligence API and transcribe the video? Literally take that eight hour video and transcribe it. It's not only going to give you the transcription for the video, word for word, it's going to tell you the start and end time of every single word in that video. So now you start thinking about, wow, as a developer, that's really cool. So now I can build a search index on top of it. I can then allow users to search for it. And because I have the start and end time of every word, I can take the user right to the segment of that video. So now these thousand videos that I just recorded for Google Cloud Platform, I want to go look around. I want to go learn more about BigQuery Omni. I'm going to go to my search engine. I'm going to type in BigQuery Omni. It's going to now give me all the relevant videos and then give me a timestamp of where BigQuery Omni was set in that video. And now I can go and play 
those videos. That persona of a developer, just using a simple API, just created such a powerful tool for their community or their user or their business. Yeah, and you guys certainly have a lot of training data. I think this platform called YouTube that you might <laughs> be in the ecosystem. So, so think about just just keep that in mind. And that that's one API. That's video intelligence API. We have natural language API. We have mm-hmm. speech to text API. We have text to speech API. We have DLP API. And these are all in the AI space and machine learning. There's probably some other ones out there that I just I know I missed definitely because we have a, a lot of. APIs for developers in that persona, right? For that developer persona. We take the next step and we go to the persona that, again, has no data science experience and they're not a developer, but they want to start looking at, they want to create a model, right? They want to maybe create a prediction model or or, yeah, let's just call it a prediction model. They have all this data and what do they do? We have something called AutoML. And what AutoML does, it bridges the gap between the API and going out and building your own TensorFlow model, as an example, or if you if you want to do PyTorch, whatever it is, it bridges that gap. And what it allows you to do is say, I'm going to use, let's use actually Translate as an example, because I forgot about that one. And you say, well, why would I use Google Translate AutoML? There's so many dialects. There's so many domain areas of your business that there's certain ways of saying certain things in a certain language that maybe only your area, you as a domain expert, know. And you have all this already transcribed. So you have the English version and you have, let's just say it's the Spanish version. And you want to build your own translate model. You don't want to use Google's, right? You want to build your own. You're mm-hmm. not a data scientist. Well, we have something called AutoML. You can use it, ingest your data. It's all graphical. This is like, I, I showed this to a couple of nonprofits like about a month ago, and they were just like super impressed with this. And these nonprofits cover the world. So they're all over in different, different languages. But import a, a Google Sheet or, or any type of sheet, a CSV file with the English and Spanish, within probably about an hour, it will basically build you a, a model, not for prediction like we said before, but a translate model that now you can send it an English sentence and it'll translate based on your domain, based mm-hmm. on your taxonomy, based on the data that you've provided it. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty powerful. It becomes super powerful. Yeah. And AutoML is not limited to translate. AutoML, we have AutoML for other of our APIs, but it bridges the gap between our APIs and our, you know, going out and building your own, you know, model. Mm-hmm. Now you're the data scientist. That's the persona of the data <laughs> scientist, right? And now you yeah. want to have some fun. That we have another great source of tools. Of course, everyone knows, you know, TensorFlow, we have open sourced it. It's one of the go-to machine learning frameworks including like PyTorch. And so that comes, you know, that's at the heart of Google. We built it for, our, again, for our own consumption. And then we have externalized it and open sourced it. One of the things that I always have difficulty with is like, you know, I'm running this notebook on my local computer. It maybe requires too much resources or maybe I need to connect it to BigQuery or I, it's just, I'm working locally, right? Google offers AI platform notebooks, but it allows me to take this Jupyter notebook, put it in the cloud. It's now there. I can back up the machine if I want to. I can use things like Git. And I know you can do it locally as well, but it does now provide me the ability to use GPUs, which mm-hmm. I might I don't have it on my laptop. allows me to choose how many GPUs I want. allows me to customize the instance that's running that Jupyter Notebook. And it's hosted. It's protected. And if you think from a business organization, that actually works out really good for enterprises because now you don't have your data scientists working on Jupyter Notebooks locally on their laptops. 
they're working with something in the cloud where it's a little bit more secure. Secure meaning from a device, you know, being on a local device yeah. in the event that it gets lost or such. And now imagine you're in this notebook and now you can connect into different services within Google. I want to create a data frame off a, a data set sitting in BigQuery. Okay, no problem, right? I can connect my Jupyter Notebook to BigQuery to a data set in my project or any other project as long as I have access to it. And now incorporate that into, you know, whatever I'm doing, this kind of cool thing with machine learning within my uh, Jupyter Notebook. That's just one. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many other, you know, pretty cool like products within it. Like, cause now if you, you've built this model and now you want to productionize it, we have tools for that as well. Right. So now you take this model and now you can put that on our, uh, we can serve it out for you. Right. So now we have a platform for you to serve it. So it becomes like this really cool machine learning serverless platform. So a lot within, I mean, you touched on you know, two really important things to Google Cloud, right? Data and then now machine learning. So we yeah. can spend hours talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's great when you start seeing it come together. Obviously, we want people to experiment. I mean, like this is how I've learned how to use these things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting in there, get roll up the sleeves finding some sample data sets, maybe some labs out there, those types of things. And obviously there's a lot of training courses associated with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a certification, you know, this is the big data certification. It covers a lot of these things, a great way to learn it as well. But, you know, obviously cloud, a lot of the promise that we give to people when we evangelize the cloud is, is the potential for cost savings. So w- looking at these data and AI platforms, how do you feel as though it lowers the uh, cost of the experimentation as well as the operating fees associated with it? Yeah. So I think there's going to be times that, you know, you do move to the cloud that it might not be, there might not be a cost savings, right? It, it depends what you're trying yeah. to, to do. However, if you plan it right and you use the right services, you absolutely can see a significant cost reduction compared to what you're potentially doing today. And what I mean by that is taking back to my Jupyter notebook use case, let's take that on-prem what do you have for your data warehousing on-prem, right? Whatever it is, you're paying for this infrastructure cost to host this data warehouse that's sitting on-prem. You have these servers or notebooks that are super powerful as an example, right? To run, you know, your GPUs and run your, your models on your device. And you might actually be limited because you're not providing the full scope to your data scientists, not giving them everything that they could potentially do. So they might be even limited to what they can experiment with because you might not have the resources to give them. So now you have this cost of running this data enterprise data warehousing on-prem. You have the associated cost of the data center. You have the associated cost of the power cooling. We all know that, right? And then you have potentially, you're hindering, right, a data scientist because you might not have all the resources to give them. You take that and you move it to the cloud. You take BigQuery, for example. BigQuery, you pay for what you use. So when someone's experimenting and working, they're only paying for when they're experimenting and when they're working with it. So if I create a data frame off some table sitting in BigQuery, you're only going to pay for when you actually execute that query statement. So I do a a query statement. I put that into whatever the the response is. I put that into a data frame. That's what I pay for. And now I can continue working on my Jupyter Notebook. And that Jupyter Notebook can be sitting in uh, on an instance in the cloud. And now you have the ability to scale that instance. You're testing it and you're like, well, it's not working with this TensorFlow with just CPUs. Let me change my instance to TensorFlow with GPUs. Now you're not hindering that data scientist. You're giving them the resources and the tools that they need. So now you've saved costs because you pay for what you use and pay for when you run it versus having to have something sit there, right? And not use it or pay for something when it's not being used. 
Yeah. And you're not over provisioning. That's the other aspect. I've worked with some data scientists in the past and they know the subject matter so well, but then they call me and go, why was my bill so high? I didn't even do anything this month. I'm like, let's take a look. I don't think you did it the right way. You should have used these services instead. Exactly. Yeah, it works that way. But, you know, obviously we want people to try these things out Mm -hmm. if, if they want to, but how do you drive that change to get to the experimentation inside an organization? Yeah. So you, you touched on a key word that I think people might have missed, which is labs. So we have a platform called Quick Labs. Mm-hmm. There's thousands of different labs on it. The big thing that we do is education, right? Is getting people educated on the platform, learning how to use a platform correctly. And what I mean by correctly is that you don't do a select star, you do a select <laughs> and just select the columns that you need. And, and, and if, you, if you're new to what I just said, just take a, a quick labs, BigQuery lab, and you'll see why you don't want to do a select star and you want to select the columns that you want. Two things, one is cost and one, of course, it'll, it'll perform a lot better. Going back, that education is the big thing. And that, that's dear to my heart because that's what I do as a learning consultant. And one of the things that we do is we go into our customers, these large enterprises. We'll, we're not teaching, you know, maybe 10 or 15. We might be teaching 1,000 data analysts. And we're educating them on the platform and getting them comfortable with how to use it. That, that's the big key. And to also show them that it might be a change. The change might not be as significant as they think if they don't know. And second, the change can actually be a really good change because it's going to make what they're doing today a lot more effective. So for me, that word lab is so important is first, you can take labs, you can experiment with the labs, and you're not running up a bill because <laughs> yeah, it is right. a sandbox environment. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. But it is, it's about education, right? It's its really about teaching the, the community about Google Cloud and, and, and teaching them that changes depend on the change. It could be a good change. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for quick labs that's i often go there when i need to either refresh my memory because i'm going to be speaking to somebody about something or just like you know how does this work exactly let me try that i love that platform because i know exactly what i'm going to pay every month for it and it's not very much money and i don't accidentally leave some big query (laughs) system up and running and executing over and over again so that's fantastic i really appreciate your time today this is fantastic again i think one of the calls to action if you want to get into this check out Quick Labs. There's also some great books about data science on Google Cloud out there as well. Fantastic reading material. And then obviously, you know, what we also want to try to encourage people to do is find a business case inside your organization. And if you can kind of adapt that experimentation around that, that is a very useful exercise as well. We've talked about that before on the show. But really, thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening. We want to hear from you. Please email us at cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com with comments, questions, and ideas. Until the next episode, thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you then. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Ian Willoughby and Skip Berry. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com slash company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter. 